The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. The Word of God says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly, This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Dylan, I'm getting a little bit of a ring up here, buddy. If you can fix that for me, that would be tremendous. Well, let me begin by asking a question this morning. How many of you uh, that work love your job? Raise your hand. All right, several of you in here. That's good news. If you don't particularly like your employer or what you do, it can tend to take a toll on your life because work is a big part of our lives. Amen? There was a recent article published in the Huffington Post that said if you were to add up all the hours that the average person works in his or her lifetime, it would be like working 24-7 for 13 or more years. I mean, think about that. That is a lot of time spent working and you know, there's something unfortunate as believers when it comes to our work. There's this tendency to want to compartmentalize the secular from the spiritual, right? Like we see this in many different areas, but especially in our work. And here's what that looks like. It's like, all right, Sunday morning is my spiritual time. And if I'm super spiritual, Wednesday night as well. But my work is the secular part of my life. And that is tragic because that is not a biblical worldview of your life. The Bible says that we are Christ's, if we're truly Christians, we are Christ's 24-7. Our lives are hidden with Him. We've been crucified with Christ. It's not us who live, but Christ who lives in us. We belong to Him. Do you believe that? So that means that your work is first and foremost about Jesus. It is not secular. I don't care what you do. Your work, if you're a Christian, is not secular. It is extremely spiritual because your work is your mission field. Your work is a, your job, it's a big part of what we would call your ministry. So today we're going to look at how we can best glorify God in work. Now, we're in this verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Peter. 
And the apostle is writing to first century, very important, non-Jewish Christians who are living in these pagan Roman uh, cities and they are feeling like misfits because they're trying to live godly lives and that is hard to, to do when you live in a pretty much secular or pagan community, right? We feel this because we live in what is arguably a post-Christian culture which means the world around us does not share our values. They don't behave like us. They don't believe like us. And it can be difficult to live in a world like that because, uh, frankly, we like to fit in. And so Peter writes this incredible, incredible uh, letter to these first century Christians who are feeling like misfits. And in it, in this letter, we find lessons for learning to live as misfits. Or you could say exiles or pilgrims or strangers, whatever it would be. But these Christians are feeling the tension of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. And I would just submit to you, if, if you never feel like a misfit in our culture, you might want to check your walk with Jesus. Like if you just fit in, Something is probably wrong with your walk. So I, I think this is going to be extremely helpful to us as we continue to walk through this letter. Now, we're in a section of the book that is talking about a very tough Christian discipline. We started this last week. The discipline of submission. In 1 Peter 2, verse 13, the apostle gives this kind of general command for believers. It says, to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now that is really counterculture, cultural, to be subject, to submit to anybody. Because we're told from our country, uh, culture that life is about us. And frankly, it's not. It's about Jesus. Amen? And so we're talking about this discipline of submission. Last week, we talked about the importance of submitting to our governmental authorities, those who are uh, our federal, our state, our city government. Today, we're moving from the political realm to the workforce. And I want to begin, if you have your note sheet, by talking about the command, and here it is, to be a diligent employee. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters. Now, slavery, tragically, was part of the fabric of the Roman Empire. The slaves made up a uh, big part of the, the, the workforce. And the Greek word used here for servant is oketes, and it is a basic term for what is called household servants. Now, it's very interesting that a household servant could be uh, in charge of just menial tasks, or they could even be something like a... Uh, family physician taking care of the family's medical needs. So there was just a, a lot of different opportunities for these household slaves. And so some of these believers to whom Peter is writing would have been household slaves. Now some of these servants were treated as part of the family. They were treated very well and, and paid well and given opportunities but on the other hand, there were those who, even in doing good, were treated very horribly. 
They had kind of an unjust master. And in either case, hear me, Peter's command is for these servants to be obedient to their masters for the sake of the gospel. Now, don't miss this. Peter is in no way condoning slavery. He's actually undermining it if you think about it. Because if you read the context of this letter, uh, of these verses, he's saying, listen, God is your ultimate authority. You are free men and women in Christ. But he said, I'm asking you out of submission to me to submit to your masters for the sake of the gospel. But the underlying message, underlying message is that really God is your real authority. You are free men and women in Christ. So thankfully today we don't have this same social structure as the Roman Empire. Hence there is no slavery. So how does this passage then apply to us? Well, for household servants, their masters at this point were essentially their employers. So for us, the closest point of application is this. It would be our work. So the command here as it relates to us would be for Christians to be submissive employees, diligent employees. Now, let me just give you kind of a summary statement here, and then I'm going to unpack this. I believe that Christians ought to be the hardest and most loyal workers out there. Did you get that? I think Christians ought to be the hardest and most loyal workers on the planet. Now, this, there's a couple different elements to this. Number one, that means that we've got to have the right behavior at the workplace, which means we should stay on task even when the boss is not looking. Recent study was conducted and found that on average employees seem to be wasting eight hours per week by their own admission. That is 20% of a normal work week. They would be spending time during the day checking social media, taking uh, care of personal needs, making personal calls, checking sports scores, watching NCAA tournament games. Step on some toes this morning, right? Just meet you where you're at. And frankly, this is stealing from the company. This is not being a good, diligent employee. We ought not to be lazy. We ought to be diligent. We shouldn't try to get by with as little as possible. No, we ought to go over and beyond. We ought to be the best employees out there. But hear me, it's not enough just to work hard. We've got to have the right attitude in the workplace as well. Verse 18 again, servants be subject to your masters, watch this, with all respect. Let me ask you, have you ever had someone at work who, I mean, they're a great worker. They've got a great skill set. They come in early. They stay late. They get the job done. They're focused. But they're mean as the devil. Come on, somebody. Who works with somebody like that, right? That's not okay, all right? We've got to, to work hard with the right attitude. It reminds me, there's a, a story of a, a boy. His dad was telling him to sit down. Little boy didn't want to sit down. So he just stands there kind of defiantly. And the dad says, 
son, you're going to sit down. Dad, I'm not sitting down. And he just stands there. Dad gets in his face, points his finger, and the boy knows what's coming. He says, son, if you know what's good for you, you better sit down. So the boy crosses his arms, he sits down, and he looks at his dad and he says, I just want you to know I'm still standing up on the inside. That's not the kind of submission that Peter wants us to take on. When we're submissive at work or anywhere else, we ought to do so with the right heart. We are called, friends, to radically love people, to be magnanimous and forgiving and patient and kind. That's who we are called to be. Even get this when we are mistreated. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Which means this, your submission is not dependent on your boss's behavior. Don't miss that. Verse 18b says, not only to the good and gentle, but also, also we're to submit to the unjust. Which means if you're treated unjustly at work, you have a beautiful opportunity to show gospel love in that situation. And here's a great freedom that you and I have in Christ. See, our contentment, our joy, our delight, like we just sang about, it doesn't come from your job. It doesn't come from your boss. It comes from Jesus Christ alone. And you know what that means? Your boss does not have the power to control how you feel if you're a Christian. Because your joy, your happiness is not dependent upon that man or woman. Your joy comes from Jesus Christ, which means you can be kind even when you're not treated fairly. So by the grace of God, here's what I would compel you with. Rise above the darkness in your office and be a light to the lost people there. That is what you are there for. So that is the command. Be a diligent employee. Now, secondly, let's look at the call, our call, which includes suffering for doing good. We don't like to talk about this. We want lights of, lives of comfort and luxury, but the Christian life does include suffering and tribulation. Verse 19, this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Now, you may really enjoy your job right now. I saw lots of hands raised. But if you stay at that place of employment long enough, friend, you will bleed eventually. Can I get a witness? You can change jobs if you're running from problems, but eventually you're going to have problems in that job too because you work with people who are just like you, frankly, all right? Because none of us are perfect. And you're going to eventually get hurt. You're going to eventually get looked over for the promotion. You're eventually going to experience some level of sorrow on the job. Now, this Christian life in general involves suffering. And we can put all suffering into really two main categories biblically. For Christians, we would say, number one, there is what we would call deserved suffering. That means you mess up, you get punished for it. 
But then we could have another category, which would be unjust suffering. When you are doing good, and you see this throughout the Bible, I mean, you, you think of Joseph, right? You think of David when Saul was after his life. You, you think of the Apostle Paul. You think of Jesus. You, you think of all these men and women throughout the Bible who are trying to follow the Lord but experience incredible pain. That would be unjust suffering in its part of the Christian life. So we see in light of this, we see two commands, one negative, one positive from Peter. And it begins like this, don't suffer for doing wrong. Verse 20, here it is. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? These household servants, if they had a harsh master, they might have literally been beaten. Sometimes for doing wrong, but sometimes for no reason at all. Unfortunately, this type of punishment isn't legal today in our culture, but if a boss has it out for you, there are other ways that he or she can make your life miserable. How many have ever experienced that? The application of this verse is this. Don't give your employers justification for punishing you. In other words, don't show up to work late. Don't take sick days when you're not sick. Don't be on social media all day. Don't be lazy. Don't get involved in office gossip. No, don't give them reason to despise you, to punish you. And please, if you do these things, don't come to me and tell me you're suffering for Jesus. You're not. You're suffering because you're dumb. All right? I'm just saying. Because you're being, a, frankly, a horrible employee. I wouldn't want you at my company either. It's like all the time, even outside of work, I have people, you know, church people come to me and go, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong. I mean, they've gone out on their wife. They're lying all the time. They're, they're, they're being just, you know, really loose with their money and all of this. Pastor, I just feel like the devil's after me. You know, I'm broke. I, uh, my family's falling apart. I'm like, the devil's got his feet up somewhere because you're doing his job for him. He doesn't have to mess with you. You're bringing this on yourself. So that would be suffering for doing wrong. Don't do that, especially in the workplace. Then Peter says, oh, endure suffering for doing good. 20, the second part of verse 20 says this, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Just let that sink in. There are times when you can be a great employee, go over and beyond to serve your employer and yet be treated like, trash. I remember one particular boss that I won't mention since this is live streamed. Um, kind of want to mention him. <laughs> Help me, Lord Jesus. I would have done anything for this man. Would have done anything in the world for him. And uh, I worked hard for the organization. Wasn't a perfect employee, but, but really tried. He literally made my life miserable. Maybe you've had a boss like that before. If you've been in the work 
force at any time. That's probably the case. Gallup recently came out with some research showing that 70% of Americans are unhappy at their job and unengaged because the main reason is because of their boss. And if you're an employer and you're here, if you're a business owner, a manager, I would just say to you, you ought to be the best boss in the world as well as a Christian. Whether you're a Christian or not, here, here's the truth, that you can experience unjust treatment at work. But when you are a Christian, here's what I believe. I believe that the pressure and the pain is often magnified. And the Holy Spirit, through Peter, tells us to endure this type of suffering. And here's what's interesting to me. Most Christians today, most Western Christians, you know what they want? They, they want to run at the first sign of conflict. The first time they're looked over for a promotion, the first time somebody smarts off to them, the first time they're made fun of, they want to run. Peter says, no, endure this for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of the gospel. And so many Christians are changing jobs more than they change socks. I have people come to me all the time saying, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me because I work with a bunch of lost people and it's difficult. Yes, it's difficult, but if you thought of this, maybe that's right where God has you because maybe you're meant to be a light to a dark place. I mean, look at it as an opportunity. Peter says we're to endure, and he says twice that when Christians endure suffering for doing good, that it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Which just tells me this. Friend, you may not have the applause of your boss, but if you keep the right behavior and you keep the right attitude, you have the applause of Almighty God. And listen to me, if God be for you, who can be against you? Amen? Who cares? Let them talk. The King of kings and Lord of lords is thrilled with you if you're behaving rightly. He loves you, right? So don't let those people get you down. You do what is right in the sight of God. And how in the world, this begs the question, Pastor, how in the world am I supposed to, supposed to endure this type of suffering? It's not easy, is it? If you've been there, you know it is not easy to keep going to work and have a great attitude when you are treated unjustly day after day. And so how do we do it? I know this is kind of a cliche answer, but I would, I would just say to you that I, the only thing I know to say is you do it by the grace of God. Because here's what I believe about my God. I believe that he's not going to ask us to do something that he is not going to equip us to carry out. Which means his grace is sufficient. When he asks you to do something tough, you've got to believe him for the grace. Whatever that manifestation of that grace looks like, you've got to believe him for the grace to carry that out. His grace is sufficient. Abide in Jesus, live close to the Lord, consume the Word, treasure the Word, meditate the Word, get the Word in you, walk by the Spirit of God, walk close to the Lord, and He will sustain you by His grace even in the toughest of situations. Now, Peter takes this even further, and I love this. Verse 21 says this, 
For to this you have been, he uses this word called. And the word called here refers to God's effectual salvation call. Paul in Romans chapter 8 brings out the process of this call. Verse 29, popular passage, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Isn't that a beautiful verse? You've been predestined. If you're in Christ, you've been predestined to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Just a beautiful picture. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Verse 30. Those who he predestined, watch this, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. And this message of God's calling of the believer is found throughout the book of 1 Peter. Let me just read you a few verses here. 1 Peter 1, 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Isn't it good to hear your name called by the living God? That's just a tremendous Tremendous truth that you have been called if you're in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, here it is again, who called you out of darkness. 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. 1 Peter 5.10, one more here. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Does that not give you incredible hope? It might be bad for you right now, but and, and, and these first century Christians are experiencing suffering like we will probably never know. And he tells them, he says, hey, he who has called you to his eternal glory, remember, he's going to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you. He will establish you. And we ought to rejoice that God, by his glorious grace, has called us. Now, here's the reason I tell you that. When you are called, the moment he calls you, you know what I believe happens? There is a big target painted on your back. Because you become an, an enemy to the world. Jesus says this, John 15, 18, if, uh, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 1 John three thirteen. do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In other words, when you're on the job or anywhere and people hate you, especially because of your faith, it shouldn't shock you. Everyone in this world has trouble, but for the Christian, there is a special outright attack that comes because of our faith. And how many know it's not just people that we're wrestling against. Ultimately, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And Peter says in this same letter that we have a real adversary, the devil, who's going about like a roaring lying lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't just want to scratch you, friend. He wants to devour you. 
Suffering becomes part of the Christian life. But, but I want to just give you a different perspective here because when this happens, part of your calling is to endure this type of suffering, which means this. The next time you are persecuted at work or anywhere else, you ought to send your boss a thank you card because he or she is helping you walk in your calling. Just incredible. Well, listen to this. Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, you don't particularly feel blessed in that moment, do you? But verse 12 says this, Rejoice and be glad. Well, Lord, why would I do that? Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, you just think about that. When you are mistreated at work, when you are mistreated because of your faith especially, and you endure it with a great attitude, friends, you will reap eternal benefits for those situations. That's why I'm saying you've got to have a, a different perspective. Your job is your mission field part of it. Here's what this tells me, and, and this gives me great joy, that suffering is not meaningless. Do you ever just wonder why you're going through what you're going through and it just seems kind of pointless? Suffering on any level in the body of Christ is not meaningless. I love, I've, I've, I've used this before, but I love what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians. I believe it's chapter 4. And he says these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Which means this, whatever suffering you're going through, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever it is, when you endure that suffering and you continue to trust in the Lord and keep a great attitude. It doesn't mean you have to be chipper about it, okay? Yes, you can be sad at times. That's all right. That's a normal emotion. But when you are still trusting in Christ in those situations, that suffering is preparing something for you of eternal value. That's just an incredible thought. It is not pointless. So don't, whatever you're going through right now, don't say, well, it just doesn't have any meaning. It does have meaning. It's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So our calling involves suffering for doing good. And finally, number three, I want us to look at Christ, who is our perfect example. Verse 21, for this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like God doesn't understand what you're going through? Have you ever felt like he's a, a million miles away and that he can't really understand the pain that you feel? Friend, he actually understands better than you think because Jesus Christ suffered for us beyond what we could ever imagine. He's no stranger to suffering. Isaiah's prophecy about Christ, the ultimate suffering servant, is found in Isaiah 53, 3. It says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
Friend, Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And I find great comfort in this. You know, in my seasons of suffering in life, when I went through some, some mental health issues and depression, I, I wanted to talk to somebody who'd been there. There have been a couple times when I've been diagnosed with certain physical ailments, and I've wanted to talk to people who have been there to tell me what it is to go through this. Somebody who can sympathize with me. And I want you to know you have a Savior who can sympathize with you. So if you're being mistreated at work, or you've been looked over, when you're more qualified for a promotion, or if you're being persecuted on any level, anywhere because of your faith, you just remember there's a God, your God, Jesus Christ, knows what it is to suffer just like that. And He is sympathizing with you. And I don't know about you, but I just find great comfort in those words. He came to give His life as a ransom for many, yet despised and rejected. And just think about how Christ... I mean, how he set the example for us in the way we respond when we suffer. He didn't retaliate. What did he do? To the very people who were mocking him and persecuting him, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, we ought to be radically forgiving people. I mean, radically forgiving people. We ought to be so magnanimous. We ought to be so bent towards forgiveness, grace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Christ is our example in this. And so I would just encourage you, encourage you, live for Christ. Follow his example in your suffering and endure it. There are heavenly rewards waiting on you when that happens. I'll close with quoting the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He writes this, that he said, We Christians are like the schoolboy who would like to evade certain things. Wouldn't it be nice if we just could ease through life? He said, We'd like to run away from problems and tests, but we thank God that because He has a larger interest in us, and knows what is for our good. He puts us through the disciplines of life. He makes us learn the multiplication table. We're made to struggle with the elements of grammar. Many things that are trials to us are essential that one day we may be found without spot or wrinkle. We would love for this life to be void of suffering, wouldn't we? I mean, if we're honest. But that's not the Christian life. And so endure it. And let me just close with an example of how this works in the workplace. See, the ultimate goal is that your, your boss or your employees or your co-workers would see the glory of God in your behavior and that they too would end up turning to Christ. And I've lived this firsthand. I, when I was first in ministry, I was bivocational and I worked for a pretty big corporation in Lexington. And I was brought in for an interview with two people who would become my boss and my boss's boss. And they looked at me knowing that I was a preacher and they say, well, you're qualified, but we just want to warn you. You can't bring that Jesus stuff up in here. And I thought, oh, this is off to a great start. 
But you know what I did? I, I took the job. And I worked my tail off. I showed up on time or early. I stayed late if I needed to to get the job done. I tried my best not to goof off. <laughs> That's difficult, isn't it? At all. I'd stay on task. Just submitted to my bosses. My, my boss and my boss's boss, let's just say they were very loose living people. And I think they tried to get under my skin a little bit, telling me stories and this kind of thing. But at night, I would go around and uh, I was the last one there uh, it, when I was first hired. I had the kind of late shift nobody else wanted. And when the phones weren't ringing, I would go from cubicle to cubicle, office to office, and I'd just pray over my bosses. And when they were there with me during the day, I'd just show them the love of Christ through my actions. And I wondered many times, is any of this doing any good? Until one day I came in on my day off just to get a paycheck. And I walked in and it was normally a busy time, but by the providence of God, the phones were not ringing. And my boss and my boss's boss were sitting at a table in a common area. And they said, Chris, could you come over here and sit down for a minute? We know it's your day off. I said, sure. What's up? What do you need? We'd like to ask you a little bit more about Jesus. And I got to share my faith with them. Not only that, listen to me, in the cubicle next to me sat one of the most heathen guys I've ever met in my life. And this guy, I think he loved, he knew as a preacher, he's just an old country boy, and he, he wanted to get under my skin. And he used to tell me about these escapades that he would have and all these, let's just leave it at that. And I would be like, la, 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 you know. And um, man, man, I just shared Christ with him and, and, and just tried to live a good example and um, talk to him, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. We would work some Saturdays, it would just be the two of us. And when I left there to, to move to Tucson to take a... a, a, a to take a position at a church there. I wondered, did, did I ever, his name was Brian. I, said, I wondered, did I ever impact Brian? And I'm sitting at my desk probably some two years after I'd left this company. And this message comes through from a f familiar name. And it took me a second to register who it was. And guess who it was? It's the guy sitting right next to, that next to me in his cubicle. And he says to me, Chris, he said, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for sharing Christ with me. He said, I want to thank you for showing me the love of Jesus. I want you to know something. I've given my heart and life to the Lord. He said, I've, I was living together with my girlfriend. We've moved out. We're going to get married. Um, we're not sleeping together anymore outside of marriage. He said, we're, we're, we're going to get married. He said, we're going to church every week. We're involved. He said, I'm on fire for the Lord. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you for living Jesus at that office. Friend, I'm not the only one in ministry because I stand behind a pulpit. You're in ministry. If you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, you're in ministry. Oh, you have a great ministry. Whatever you do, if you're retired, whatever it is, you have some ministry. But if you are in the workforce, that is your ministry. You are there for a reason. Understand, you're, not, you're, you're, a, you're a citizen of heaven. Citizen of heaven, all right? So ultimately, here's what that means. You're not there ultimately for a paycheck. So who cares if you get looked over for the raise? You're there to make Jesus look glorious. So what? You can't get the fancier house or the nicer car. 
You've got mansions and glory waiting for you that you get to enjoy for all of eternity. If you'll suffer willingly for a little while on this earth and you'll endure it, listen, there are eternal rewards that will blow your mind. You're not a citizen of Richmond or America first. No, you are a citizen of heaven. And we need to live our lives with that kind of purpose. That's what we're here for. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.